Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit BetterHelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. of the AFL. In from the side, Houghton. She was surrounded by blue jumpers. Bounce on its point, wow. The fakes, the gods are with the gods. After that live show last week, we're going to take a week off and then Barry Hall happened. Mm-hmm. Welcome to the Outer Sanctum for another week. I'm Emma Race. I'm Lucy Race. I'm Kate Sear. I'm Nicole Hayes. And you will notice that we are two of our usuals down because um, Alicia sometimes has gone to the World Cup because <laughs> they needed another striker uh, somewhere. I don't know, goalie. They needed some poetry. And if you haven't caught up with the news yet, Felicity Race has taken extended leave from our regular podcasting hours. I'm not ready to talk about that yet. But I am very pleased to say that in lieu of uh, Alicia and Felicity today, we have got some extraordinary guests who've come into Malay with us and to unpack the news of the week, I would like to welcome to the Outer Sanctum podcast, Professor Sarah Joseph, Director of the Caston Centre for Human Rights Law at Monash University. How are you, Sarah? I'm great. Thank you. You're a shin boner? Absolutely. <laughs> and, and I'm not defensive about that at all. No, you're not. You're proud, shin boner. That's correct. Sitting next to you is Dr. Tiana Ernst, full-time obstetrician, VFLW superstar, AFLW premiership centre-half back for the Western Bulldogs. How are you, team? I'm great. Thanks for, thanks for having me. We haven't seen you since you won the premiership. I know. It's been a bit of a whirlwind couple of months, but I think back to reality and and yeah, just back to normal normal life as a yeah working full time doctor. Does life get back to normal once you're a premiership player? Oh, look, it's it's pretty surreal still, and you know lots of conversations within the hallways at work about the, you know the amazing week that was the the week of the grand final. Uh, it's still you know you still pinch yourself about how amazing it was, but uh, I think it'll always always be there to remind you that yeah you were part of it. Absolutely extraordinary. We have got so much to talk about today. To kick it off, we've just had some late-breaking news, and I'm going to come straight to Kate Sear because she's going to be feeling this more than anyone else. It's just been announced that Cyril Rioli has retired from yes. playing AFL football. Yeah, it's it's important to clarify that Cyril the man has retired rather than Cyril the dog. Mm-hmm. Um, Your dog. My dog. Um, yeah, I mean, I think a, a few people thought it might be on the cards because he'd taken a bit of time off and I think there were some rumours swirling around. People kept asking me if I could shed any light on it as if I was his mum or something. <laughs> Unfortunately, uh, I, had, I had no intel. But um, what an incredible, extraordinary career. Four premierships. Um, he's, uh, was only, he's only 29 years old and, and, and achieved an incredible amount. And... Um, I was going to say for Hawthorne fans, but I think actually for all footy fans, he has left us with some of the greatest memories of footy. I've I've never heard any noise ever at the MCG like I did it in the 2008 Grand Final. That tackle on the boundary. That tackle on the wing, one on three. You know, like just a series of incredible memories. So I'm going to go home and drown my tears in a glass of wine or something and watch some Cyril highlights, I think. Sounds very unhygienic. How do you feel about it, Tiana, given that, you know... (laughs) Watching people like Cyril play, I'm sure, must get you up and about when you get out there to play. Absolutely. So, you know, incredible, incredible athlete. And that's probably the thing that I admire mainly about him and the ability to just make something out of nothing on the, on the footy field. Um, huge respect for the man and I'm sad to see that his time in the game has come to an end, but will always be remembered. Sarah, how do you feel, given that you don't barrack for Hawthorne, because it's very easy for us to sit here. We could make this a one-hour Cyril special. Mm. In fact, that may still happen. Can we do that? (laughs) But you don't support Hawthorne, but how do you feel about Cyril? Oh, look, I feel your pain. I mean, he he was a great player and he was was fabulous to watch. 
Um, and that past tense past just kills me. He can't change that. He now. has been, maybe. Yeah. He has been an awesome player to watch, and I loved watching him, um, except when he was playing North Melbourne. <laughs> of course. Yeah. Well, that's the ultimate like compliment, isn't it? Yeah. I love him, except for when he plays, plays my team. team. Yeah. So let's take a look at the reflections. I oh, know it's hard to move on, ladies. Come on. We've just got to... Pull yourselves together. Pull yourselves together. So it was the most amazing round of football because it was like an upside-down land where, I mean, t- get your t- put your tips in the bin. Mm. Seriously. It was nice to see actual, like results up in the air right up for so many of them right up until the last minute but also these incredible upsets that have really made that whole competition for the end those eight positions exciting yeah i kind of thought of it as the faltering round it was the round where everyone kind of faltered except richmond oh yeah (laughs) and except collingwood yeah they're looking hot top two yeah i had a little pithy kind of observation on the round which doesn't seem so pithy now, but um, I love the symmetry of cats versus dogs mm. and then the fact that it was saints versus demons as well. Oh. <laughs> like, that's just awesome. It's pretty good. My highlight was probably seeing um, Ruffy kick 550 and I'm not really massive into those kind of milestone goals because they're going to happen if you've got the opportunity to mm. play um, Unbroken Pathways um, <laughs> in your life, you know, play that much footy. But I will always come back to this moment and, I, and it often, often hits me when the noise from outside is feeling overwhelming for a female fan that I go, wow, Ruffy playing really is... It's a medical miracle Miracle. that he's out there playing. I've got a little update for you too on the old LED fence. I know this is, you know, this is something I've been talking about the last few weeks. Did you see that Dangerfield cut his knee on the LED at Docklands this week? And you'll be interested to know that they've brought in some changes at Cadinia Park. The boundary lines have actually been brought in so that there's now a 5.5 metre gap between the boundary and the fence to try and... What was um, before? Well, before it was skinnier. But it actually now (laughs) means that Cardinia Park is now the skinniest ground. Mm. It is only 116 metres wide, 22 metres skinnier than the MCG. Wow, Wow. Wow. that's going to affect how they play. Did you play there last week? Have you played down there? No, we played in Ballarat for the VWFL against Geelong. So I haven't played in Cardinia Park. But to me, sort of, um, I guess, the physics behind uh, accelerative athlete propelling towards the fence. I don't know if a five metre gap is actually going to make much of a difference. I don't think that's actually fixing the problem. With something like the LED fence, is that something that players would go to the AFLPA for and say, what are you going to do about it? Yeah, I think so. I think that's something that the AFL Players Association would have to discuss with the AFL and I guess we'll just have to see what happens. There may be some I guess technical changes to the the bent, you know, the boundary to make sure that this, you know, doesn't continue to be an issue for players getting injured. It's interesting that it's happened to Dangerfield. It yeah. might just be the catalyst for them actually um, getting rid of them. Not that I want to moz anyone, but if it happened to Dusty, we know it's going to change. <laughs> oh, I think Dangerfield's as much as a catalyst because isn't yeah, he on the AFLPA? Yeah, he's actually he's the, the president. Head, but yeah, there you go. Like being a poster child for the game at the moment. Mm. I don't know. Too yeah, cynical. No. No, well, that's what, that's what you do. That's what I do. Just cynical enough. <laughs> Thank you. Um, I wanted to single out a particular individual from the weekend of footy, if I can, and that's Cade Simpson. So we just talked about Cyril, who is a great of the game, retiring, but he's a great of the game that's soldiering on, and so he played his 300th game, as uh, most of our listeners will probably know. Um, he had the most disposals on the ground. He had 37 possessions in what wow. ended up being a losing um, match, unfortunately. He's 34 years old. Um and I could reel off his stats from that game, but suffice to say, he had a terrific game. Um, one of the things that I did, though, is go back and have a look at um, his career and how many games he had won in and how many draws and so on. And what's amazing to me is that having pay- played 300 games, he's only won 109 of those games. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, you contrast him to someone like Cyril, who's played for, um, I think, maybe six years less and has won four premierships in that time. So Cade Simpson has won only 36% of games that he's played in. And he's one of those players that I admire because he's stuck with the one team. He's been totally dependable. I have a number of friends and family who go for Carlton and love, 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 love him because he's just a workhorse week in, week out. And so I just wanted to give a little hat tip to him. Team man. What a shame it was that they they couldn't win for him. They've only won one game this year, so I hope they win another Mm. few for him anyway. Just not against (laughs) Hawthorne. Yes. They probably will win against Hawthorne. I know, I know. 
All right, we've got such a melee to melee with our melee hands today. <laughs> Are we ready to melee? <laughs> Roll up your sleeves, ladies. Okay, just when you think we're turning a corner and the commentary is different, um, you turn on the radio or you turn on Twitter and you see the comments that have come out. On Friday night on Triple M Radio, um, there were some comments which I'm sure anyone who's listening to this didn't manage to miss. Um, there's been a lot of discussion about um, the conversation that was had between the commentary team. It was Mark Howard, um, Lee Montagna, um, Damien Barrett, Nathan Brown and Barry Hall was in there filling in for Chris Judd. The conversation was... <coughs> It was an odd one, but it was a conversation about Lee Montagna's pregnant wife and they were well out of their depth and then they took it to a place that just felt so utterly inappropriate. Um, we've heard lots of conversation um, around it this week, but we wanted to bring you um, a conversation, conversations that we've all been having and thankfully for us having Sarah and Tiana here, I think we've got some really unique perspectives. But Lucy, do you want to kick it off for us? Um you usually have a lot to say about things. <laughs> I do. I might not have as much as other people today. I don't know. Um, I think just before we start the discussion, it's really important to, um, I guess, highlight why there's an issue with this. And we've talked a lot about the link between respect and the prevention of violence against women. So we know that all utterances that are disrespectful don't necessarily indicate that someone's going to be violent, but we know that when violence occurs against women and against other people as well, that it often comes from, there's often been disrespect in the background. So that's why it's important and that's why it's something that has taken a lot of airtime um, and a lot of people will continue to discuss it. So I guess I, I initially came to it from a place of thinking, this situation kind of arises because of the insular nature of that particular commentary box. So when you look at the people that were in there and I think when you have a number of people who are like-minded with very similar life experiences, it's not surprising that they carried what might have been their locker room banter into a forum that sh it should never have been there. I, When I think about some of the people that were part of this discussion, I think about um, blokey football clubs, I think about sportsmen's nights, I think about commercial radio and the fact that when you're a powerful dominant group of people, um, you haven't really necessarily been called out or had the kind of exposure to education that a lot of other people do. So in some respects, I don't find it surprising at all. I think this is exactly what you get when you put that group of people together. Um, we can ask them to change and we can ask them to call it out. But sometimes I'm actually just not even convinced that there are some... I, I, I'm not convinced that some of these people understand enough to be able to do it. So I think it's therefore incumbent on the organisation. Mm -hmm. comes back to them having a role in making sure that things like this don't happen again. That means education of on-air talent. It means having a producer who is very clear and who is able to handle strong personalities because this is clearly a discussion that was happening off-air and then got batted up on-air. Um, the message needs to be very clear through the organisation that this isn't tolerated, um, this kind of lack of respect. And then I think diversity, we need to bring in some other voices. So and when we bring in other voices, don't just bring in one. Don't just bring in one other woman. But I, I really, truly don't think this conversation would have happened if um, there'd been women in the box. I also don't think this is the kind of discussion that would happen if we had a commentary box with the next generation of footballers like a Ben Brown, Joe Watson, a Jay Kennedy Harris. I don't think we would even have gone close to that. No. So that's my starting point. I'm going to come to you, Sarah. Um if that's okay. I feel like you've been very vocal on Twitter about this. We know that Barry Hall um, was sanctioned straight away. Mm. Now, I mean, I have some feelings about that because it's actually one of the easiest things for them to do is to sack Barry Hall. He's not a full-time employee. He's not there every week. Um, mm. To say that he's not welcome is a really pretty easy um, scapegoat. Having said that, I think acting swiftly and acting at all is probably um, a demonstration that things have actually changed. But what was your take on that? 
Well, I often come at these things, and, and when I talk about them on Twitter, I often talk about them from a free speech angle because, you know, there, there's many people in the world, not just in football, who are, you know, suffering consequences because of something dumb or awful that they've said. Um, to, to be clear, at one level, it's really not a free speech issue because he doesn't have a right to speak on Triple M and Triple M has every right to sack him. Um, and he wasn't subjected to any sort of censorship from the government. But at another level, you know, as I just said, he has suffered sanctions because of something that he said. Um, now, when someone says something terrible, I'm totally in favour of criticising them. And I think actually, you know, uh, as you said, it's fairly low-hanging fruit to actually sack him. It would have been just as powerful or more powerful for him to be, you know, condemned then and there on the air and by other powerful personalities in the AFL, even on other on other channels. I think that would have a more lasting effect. Um, so I'm very much in favour, you know, of the condemnation. If you say something terrible, you expect to be criticised for it. I'm probably more on the lenient side generally of the consequences that then follow because almost any time anybody does say something terrible, there's now a call for them to lose their job, which for some people, you know, is actually losing their livelihoods. Um, that wasn't the case for Barry Hall. He was just a, a fill-in for Chris Judd. So generally, I'm sort of squeamish about those sort of circumstances. But having said that, everybody has their lines. Everybody has the lines, you know, that they think shouldn't be crossed. Um, I would say mine are probably more lenient than what I see on Twitter. But, yeah, I mean, for me, I would agree that Barry Hall crossed the line. It was, you know, a totally feeble joke um, about a woman, you know, about a woman's privacy, about, you know, about sexual assault on a footy show. Um, as to whether he should then be banned forever, I mean, people have said this is the end of his media career. He didn't actually have a media career. Um, I, I'm more ambivalent about that. You know, if he comes back in four years, I'm not too troubled about that. In fact, having learnt hopefully learned his lesson, he might be a more safe commentator than some other people now. <laughs> That's a really interesting point. How did you feel about the fact that they were speaking about, I'm going to separate the issues, as I'm going to come to you, Tiana, because I want to talk about um, private medical information being shared on air, um, but that do you believe that when these men were having this conversation that they were aware that they were joking about rape? Or did you feel that this is a part of a discourse that they don't recognise is rape culture? I don't think they recognise that. And it's extraordinary it even got on the air. I mean, I've I've thought that, I mean, Barry Hall is responsible for what he said. But why was it brought up at all? Um, I think it was Mark Howard who sort of said the, you know, tell us about the sweep. And... Why did he say that? I mean, he's a professional commentator. Mm. Um, I, I, look, I, I should um, couch that. I think it was Mark Howard. It might have been one of the others. Um, and uh, Lee Montagna should have stopped it then and there. Barry Hall should never have said, but I think there was a collective responsibility for what happened. That shouldn't be talked about. I mean, one thing I reflected on later was that you know, imagine if female commentators were talking about childbirth. Imagine the outcry of, you know, how irrelevant is that? When it's like that was completely irrelevant and it was horrible and it was, you know, as you say, indicative of rape culture. It was leading. It made me think if the Barry Hall punchline hadn't have been there, I wondered whether we would have heard about this conversation at all. Absolutely. It is entirely possible mm. that the culture of that radio station is that they are having these conversations all the time and we just don't hear them Absolutely. because there's no hideous punchline. Tiana, one thing that kept coming back to me this week is that... Lee Montagna's wife is in a really tricky position right now. I mean, she's about to give birth to their first child. And I was thinking back on the relationship that I had with my obstetrician. You are an obstetrician. Um, and I think about the respect and how my life and my child's life was in the hands of my obstetrician and how much respect I had for her. Um, the very thought of being in a small room with my obstetrician, with her knowing that my husband had been joking about... Um, the medical profession that they're a part of and taking liberties and the procedure, and, the procedure yeah. and making fun of it on air. I, it would have sucked the oxygen out of the room. I don't know that I could have actually gone through labouring with that person. What was? How did you, from a medical perspective and from your um, professional perspective, kind of 
think about this? Yeah, well, I guess the first thing that came to my mind was the welfare of Lee Montagna's wife. Like, uh, did she actually have consent that this was a conversation to be had on public radio? And I'm, I'm assuming that the answer of that was no, that this would not be something that she would want to be discussed um, for, you know, people all around Australia. Uh, you know, being pregnant is an incredibly emotional time and I really hope that this hasn't had a negative impact upon her experience as a as a woman as well as a, a woman that's about to bring new life into this world. Um, so that's my first concern is the welfare of, of, of her. Um, and I just, I'm so disappointed of the uneducated and to be honest, really disgusting comment that really insulted the important trusting relationship that you have, as you said, between the obstetrician and the, and the, uh, well, the, the medical practitioner and the patient. And it is, um, it's just, it's just gone beyond levels to actually having a, any under, understanding and uh, comprehension of actually what is entailed in, in terms of looking after a woman that is pregnant. I've got a question for you that kind of intersects between being a footballer and being an obstetrician. So we often hear about people saying um, that the pushback about female football is that women are not strong enough and um, there's a lot of disparaging remarks made about female footballers, which I'm sure you've heard and you'd be aware of. Um, How is it that a lot of those men, you would then see them... Um, witness their partners give birth, people who who would hold that opinion. And in that moment, women are so powerful and they're pushing through pain in a way that you can't even really verbalise. I've been thinking about the illustration of women and specifically vaginas, I suppose, about, you know, contextually, like there's vaginas that make us go, ew, and there's vaginas that we covet and there's yeah. vaginas that become the vaginas that give birth and that they seem to say the word vagina I am I think I've said it that many times show, great. but does that is that a weird do you kind of see it like that too like do you see a visual representation when these men walk through the door with their partners that that people have a really different relationship with women and with vaginas. <laughs> Absolutely. I think that the men really do underestimate the, the remarkable ability of the women's body and they've probably, you know, they've underestimated us on the footy field as well as we've seen in the last couple of seasons of the AFLW. And I still think that a majority of women, a uh, majority of men still actually underestimate what women have to go through, uh, the extents of, of um, changes to their body and the, the pain and the, uh, the sacrifice that they actually you know, withstand to be able to bring new life into the world. So um, I do see it as, you know, uh, there's a, a similar comparison between footy and, and, and you know, having a, having a baby. Um, and I think there needs to be a lot more education and understanding, particularly from the male um, part, of the, part of the population, to understand that what's actually involved. Nicole? Yeah, look. Um, <laughs> How are you going with it all? Yeah, it's been fun, hasn't it? Um, look... To echo what everybody else has said, this is so not about Barry Hall. This is about a culture um, of these all-male blokey football commentary teams who actively seek to recreate locker room footy club mateship and then they go to a microphone and, and, and try to share that with their listeners. Um, I think the the thing that I kept coming back to was the the absence of Aaron Byrne Lee Montagna's wife in all of this conversation and there were two things I wanted to say um even though uh this is in effect a a joke about Erin Byrne or at least that's how it's taken it wasn't about her and it wasn't about any woman really it was a joke about two men and a vagina and it was a contest between these two men in one case unwitting and innocent over the spoils of their entitlement. This is within this sort of unfettered unfiltered bubble of entitlement the space around that conversation it was not it it wasn't about the woman at all she is just she's sort of secondary to the fact of her body um and this is a vagina that the likes of montagna and hall believe belongs to the husband or partner this is theirs Mm. to to do with as they will so erin byrne is not a person in this scenario she's not actually human and her humanity is effectively erased she exists entirely as a symbol of Montagna's masculinity, which was what, in Hall's mind, the joke was about. She, he believed he was making a joke about Montagna, mm. not about Erin Byrne at all, which is what brings me to the second thing that I wanted to talk about was the apologies and the language around the apologies. So I'll just read Triple M's just a, a few sentences. On Triple M Football, there were unacceptable and inappropriate comments made by a member of the commentary team. 
The commentator was removed immediately after, immediately from the broadcast and an apology was issued on air afterwards. Immediate action was taken with the termination of employment for one team member. And then I heard a, a different version of that that said we unreservedly apologised to everyone for what was said. Once again, there's no mention of the victim here, mm. particularly stark in the use of the and what struck me as a writer is the use of that passive voice construction. Um, and I know that's common parlance and Sarah and Kate, forgive me, but for in the academic and in the legal space that this is something to do. And the, the point of that is to obfuscate meaning, is to kind of not really say anything. Um, so, but as a storyteller, one of the things I do is I advise against passive voice because it lacks punch and clarity, it undermines the emotional intensity, and it's just deeply unsatisfying if you're trying to convey any sort of meaning. Um, but specifically here, these were the words, there were unacceptable and inappropriate comments made. That is, a thing was done. In active voice, it would be a person did this thing. But instead, it's this thing that happens outside of everybody else. And the actor or perpetrator is no longer the subject or the agent of the act. He is a passive part of it. And the object of the act, the recipient or victim, disappears completely. Mm. And it becomes an emotion-free, inanimate action with no victim. And then we come to Hall's apology. I'd like to take this opportunity to apologise for any offence taken from my commentary on Friday night's Triple M footy coverage. It was a silly thing to say, and it is not a reflection of who I am or what my views are. I am a proud father and a dedicated partner and have nothing but respect for women. Again, with a passive voice, any offence taken? No mention of Erin Byrne or indeed any victim. In effect, any offence taken is on you, on us as listeners, that this is something that we take on. In this version, Hall himself becomes central to the crime, not as a perpetrator, but as the victim. He then actively humanises himself, father, partner, without acknowledging the humanity or even the existence of the victim, of his actions at all. Privately, I don't know what he said to Erin Byrne or anyone else, but here's the thing about apologies. Um, oh, and then the next day, Nath- um, sorry, Damien Barrett came on and was very <laughs> emotional and used words like unapologetic and uh, unacceptable and offensive. The sort of passion I would have liked to have heard when it actually happened in the commentary box, he had to invoke that emotion because otherwise he will be culpable. Mm. And so it's used deliberately to, to either distance or to, to in some way distance yourself from the action that took place. But I just wanted to, the final thing I wanted to say was um, Juno Diaz and, and there was an article about um, Juno Diaz and the problem of the male self-pardon by Lily Lufbarau, um in Slate. And... I mentioned the literary sort of scandals that have been happening of late. What she said really struck struck me, um, and I'll just quote from her. What frightens people about Me Too is in part, I think, that everyone is guilty, and we're starting to realise it in new ways. If you grew up in a culture that structurally undervalues women, then you, yes, you, have undervalued them. She goes and lists all the different ways that happened. But what she says, finishes with, is that this is why fixing our apology culture matters. Moving as it can be to watch men move past the things they've done, it usually feels redemptive because we don't have to see the people they did things to. That's not the case anymore. We all need ways to heal and be healed. Forgiveness may take a while. It may not come at all. But a reckoning can't begin and end with the self. And that's why this is so not about Barry Hall. Mm. Good point. Sarah Joseph? Well... Um, I'd add, nor is it about Barry Hall's wife and child. And that mm. was another aspect to the apology to sort of wheel them out as, as props. It was a little bit like him saying, look, I can't be, I can't be a misogynist because I know, I know a woman. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think these apologies, I mean, you know, take responsibility and go out there by yourself. Mm. Sarah, how do we learn from people who have offended us? Oh, that's an interesting question. I mean, you would hope they learn from themselves, we learn a lot about our our collective reaction to it and that's the immediate reaction and then and then and then subsequent reactions including this goes back to things I was saying earlier including I suppose the ultimate consequences and and our possible ability to forgive sometime in the future i think that's all po- you know possibly mm-hmm. part of it um that's all I can think of at the moment. <laughs> That's all I got, Lucy. I've got I've got two things to maybe answer that. Em, um, one thing that I heard on a podcast which um, was talking about um, jokes and around Me Too and um, changing culture, and there was a recognition that 
you've really got to separate out the topic from the lived experience. And I think that's what you were both saying, Sarah and Nicole, that it's really important to, to bring it back to um, to who really was hurt in something and to think about the lived experience of that person. Mm-hmm. The second thing I'd like to just pick out is um, our watch just has some fantastic resources and they have a little, there was a little thing I saw, which was how can I promote respect for women in my daily life? Just five points. I just want to pick out three of them. One is to speak up when you hear sexist comments. And I think that would have made a big difference. I think one of the things I found most frightening, and I'm going to say frightening about that whole audio from that experience was the sound of the laughter. And that sent chills down my spine because it reminded me of other times where a very powerful dominant group of people have been joking and um, it it just brought me straight back to that place. So I recognise that that is not always easy to speak up in the moment. So the second point is to not laugh long and to at another point find a time to to say something because if you do laugh along, you're giving it tacit approval. Mm. The last thing I want to say on that is to check yourself and to ask yourself this question. Do you treat men and women differently in the workplace, at home or on the sporting field? And if so, why? And I think that if all of those people involved ask themselves that question, I think if they were honest, they'd have to say, yes, I do treat men and women differently. And I think that's a really good point in terms of your own personal education about where your gaps might be and where you might need to start. Tiana, when um, when a heterosexual couple come in to deliver a child, do you often find um, it's a really vulnerable time for women um any time there's some kind of medical exam <laughs> examination of them like that. But do you find that male partners can often get, um, feel intimidated or feel nervous um, and awkward in those situations and make those kinds of jokes that you need to shut down? Yeah, I think they definitely feel can feel uncomfortable. I, I don't think I've personally ever had any inappropriate remarks made at the time. And I guess my, my main approach to those types of situations where you feel that the man has sort of really no idea about what's about to happen or the reasons behind it is trying to educate him and that's probably my my first thing to try and do is under, make him understand why this is a an important procedure or the indication for the, the medical procedure and try and make sure that he's there for supporting the woman because it is a very intimate and sensitive uh you know, examination that you, you can actually need to perform and, and making sure that he actually understands the reasons behind that. Um, so that's probably the first thing that I would do. Have you and your obstetrician mates just been texting going, holy smokes, can you believe this is happening? It's just, uh, I think the main sort of feeling has been just how ridiculous it's all been. It's that uneducated understanding of what the what the indication of the of the procedure was and and why would you make it sexualized because it isn't at all sexualized it's about um, supporting the woman and making sure that she's going to bring a healthy new life into this world and how best can we make that happen Kate's here you look like you've got something to say. <laughs> no, surely. I do. Yeah, put the kettle on because it's going to go for a while, so I apologise <laughs> in advance. Well, I I mean, there was lots of things that I thought about speaking about and, and you've covered many of them. Um, so what I wanted to do is kind of talk about a few things that happened in the aftermath and you've all um, touched upon some of them already. But So one of the things that happened was that Barry Hall's partner, Lauren Brandt, posted something on Instagram and... Um, She said that he'd been vilified. This is some of the language that she used, labelled and attacked, and also that she and their son had been attacked as well, which I thought was utterly ridiculous and and inappropriate and and, um, really unfortunate. So the other thing that happened was that comedian Michelle Laurie penned an open letter to Barry Hall, and um, one of the things that she said was that she was genuinely sorry to him that he had had to learn a lesson and um, that he had had to learn it in what she called such a publicly humiliating way. And then Triple M decided to follow that up with a special segment dedicated to a discussion about the fallout where they had her on as a guest um, and some other people in the room, including their host, Seb Costello. And Seb Costello said that he was a big believer that nothing was ever changed by a pile-on. So a bit like what you were talking about before, Sarah, about you know being careful about how we kind of approach condemnation. He also said that people needed to act graciously. And then Laurie went on to say that women needed to be careful not to patronise men, not to be condescending to men, not to tell men that they're going to educate them. And then she also said that women must be patient and not be hysterical. 
perhaps some <laughs> without realising the, the loaded history of mm. that word. So just bear with me here because I want to take a bit of a diversion because for me all of that discussion really resonated with a debate that's happening in the United States at the moment um, and that is um, as things are unfolding like Donald Trump's staff are being asked to leave restaurants or are being refused service but also how comedians like Michelle Wolf, who spoke at the White House Correspondents' Dinner a couple of months ago have been accused of being disrespectful and, um, and of being accused of incivility. And this is something that I saw repeated across the weekend, right across social media, that women who were calling, particularly women who were calling out Barry Hall and those in the commentary box, needed to be more respectful and to be more civil. So I did a bit of media on the weekend and so did a friend of our podcast, Shelley Ware, who's from Marngrook. We both did a little bit of TV and um, some interviews. And each of us had sent out a single tweet where we commented on the segment. And and I said that I thought Hall's comments were obscene. That was the word that I used. But I then asked why he had been singled out mm. when other mm. people on that station mm. over years, I'm thinking about Eddie Maguire mm. joking about Adam Goods and, and drowning Carolyn Wilson, why none of those people had been reprimanded. And I think that we were civil, mm. <laughs> however you define that. But what I want to do is then share with you some of the things that Shelley and I um, received in response. Some of the things that Did were said to us. Did you read the comments? Us. I read the oh. comments. What have I told about you this? about reading the comments? <laughs> yeah. I, I read the comments. You have to read the comments. Yeah, and I'm going to read the comments now. So these are some of the things that were said about Shelley and she's given me permission to share them with you. So she was um, told that to get back in the kitchen, that it was third wave feminist propaganda, that she was targeting all men, that she was virtue signalling, that she just wanted to be outraged. Um, then somebody who I presume is a psychic said that she watches Wayne Carey and says nothing. I'm not sure if that's true. And that she didn't even hear it, again, without any basis. Also, she was accused of just jumping on the bandwagon. They said that Shelley was full of crap, that this isn't all about you and that you need to get over yourself. Some of the things that were said to me were that I needed to lose weight, that I have a terrible haircut, that I just wanted attention that I've never even listened to footy on the radio. Let me <laughs> tell you, that's favorite. not true. <laughs> <laughs> that I'm just like a vegan. Now, that one is true because I am actually just like a vegan, <laughs> but I'm a vegetarian. Mm. Um, I just wanted my 15 seconds of fame, that I have a feminist agenda. That's also true. Um, that I have a terrible voice. Probably also true. That I need to ask for a refund on my education because I don't know what I'm talking about. And first of all, because I had said it was a medical procedure and that it's not a medical procedure, apparently. And also that I had said that the description that Hall gave, if it were realised, would have been a sexual assault. Um, and apparently I was wrong about that but I'm confident that I was right. Um, I was also told that I was being overly imaginative, that I'm a snowflake, sort of paradoxically that I was trying to ruin Barry Hall, but also that I was trying to protect him by asking questions of others, that I'm a sheep, that our stupid show should be called back, Get Back to the Kitchen. Oh, so that's something that's for us. That <laughs> oh, in the tea towels. It was a kitchen theme. Yeah. <laughs> or just go find a kitchen, go in a kitchen. Mm. I know. It would be better. I know. My partner's a chef and he, he would be, he probably wants me to get into the kitchen sometimes too, as I never cook. Um, that I am Professor Sack People and that I should go to bed. <laughs> that is very catchy. I know. There was, I, I know. I thought about changing the name. Sack people. Yeah, yeah. I thought about changing my name. There was a man years ago, do you remember, who, changed his name by deed poll to Neville Abolish Child Support and Family Court. I, so I, mean, I, remembered when, I remembered when um, Whiskers, yeah. Gary Hocking. Gary Hos yeah. Hocking changed Hocking? his name. Exactly. Yeah, whiskers, so so like I, look, I'm thinking about it. So yeah, okay. It's catchy. Okay. But anyway, the point is I don't share all of those things that were said to Shelley and I for sympathy. I'm sharing them for two main <laughs> reasons. The first one is because they highlight the hypocrisy of these repeated calls, particularly for women to be civil. Because when women speak out about things, we're very regularly met with abuse in response. And so the irony that we're being told to be patient and polite and, and more respectful is not lost on me. But the second thing that I think is much more important that I really wanted to, to reflect on um, and that I have reflected on a lot in the last few days is that when people call for you to be more civil, that call serves a very particular uh, function. 
And so this week I listened to an episode of a podcast that I love, which I listen to all the time, called Trumpcast. And they interviewed a woman called Nicole Hemmer, who's an assistant professor at the University of Virginia. And the episode, if you want to track it down, is called Civility as a Cudgel. So a cudgel is like a stick that you might use to, as a weapon. And in it, and an article that she also wrote, she basically argues that civility is used as a weapon, as a, as a cudgel. And what she means by that is that when people tell you that you need to be more civil, what they really mean is, look, we, the powerful few, might be prepared to entertain your point and maybe even entertain the idea of changing the status quo a bit if only you will comply with our rules about what we think, um, what sort of terms we're prepared to speak on. And what she says in this article is that a man that we now think of as the kind of bastion of civility, which is Martin Luther King, the kind of head of the civil rights movement whose um, practice of civil disobedience people now respect, was actually regularly accused of of incivility back in the day as as being much too radical, much Mm. too provocative, too demanding. And actually I think there are opinion polls from back in the time that show that the majority of Americans thought he was like an enemy of the people because he was so incivil. Um, And famously he wrote a letter, which is called A Letter from, from Birmingham Jail, where he criticised people who didn't speak up more, particularly white people who were moderate, and who he said, and I quote, preferred to have the absence of tension over the presence of justice. So every time a woman calls out some rubbish from this footballer or that footballer, from this person or that person, she is struck with this metaphorical civility cudgel. And and we saw it across the weekend. We saw it with Carolyn Wilson. We saw it when Adam Goods spoke up mm. repeatedly. People of people from the margins get this, this treatment all the time. And I think we need to be honest about it because it's a tactic that is designed to shut down debate and to maintain the status quo. So finally, I'm coming to a close, (laughs) you'll be pleased to hear, I just want to draw it back to something else that has been in the public eye a lot this week. And that is a one-hour special that was on Netflix called Nanette by Hannah Gadsby. And I saw it live, I know you did too, Sarah, Mm. and it was a phenomenal experience that, um, that I won't forget in a hurry. If you ever are going to listen to one thing that I recommend you watch or watch one thing that I recommend, please, I implore you to make it that show. Seek it out and watch it. Because part of what Hannah Gadsby does in that is argue that the job of a comedian is usually to put tension into the room and then to relieve it through a punchline. And what she says is that she's decided not to do that anymore and that she realises sometimes people need to learn to endure tension. They need to learn to feel uncomfortable, particularly people who are, who are powerful. And so Martin Luther King wrote in that letter that without incivility, oh, sorry, with yes, without incivility, we are doomed to live in a world where we are more devoted to order than to achieving justice. And I think we have to put more tension into the room and, and let those people feel uncomfortable. Wow. I couldn't agree with you more and I've actually had a lived experience this week that was really similar to what you're talking about. So on Friday um, afternoon I was on a panel at the Essendon Women's Network and we were asked to talk about our vision for AFLW in 2030. You'll be pleased to know, Tiana, I led with that if we're going to call it AFLW we should also call it AFLM and I also (laughs) implored no conferencing. Um, But in addition to that I said... We need to speak up and I um, brought up the example that we talked about last week which was Craig Foster speaking up for Lucy Zellich and what a beautiful and stunning example it was of someone stepping up and speaking out. And I looked around the room and there was um, leaders from that football club and there was lots of men in that room who all nodded and I think they all probably thought to themselves, I'm a man who would speak out. And I thought I went too hard because I left that and I thought I'd sucked the oxygen out of the room when I said my favourite stat flipping forward in a stolen foot sports almanac like in Back to the Future, mm. um, I could foresee into 2030 and my favourite champion data stat was that in all commentary boxes there would be 50% men and 50% women. But my favourite stat of all is that in those commentary boxes there would be 0% of former players commentating who had a history of violence against women. Ooh. And look, the room 
took a gasp. Some people applauded, but lots of people shuffled awkwardly in their chair. And afterwards I thought, I wonder if I went too hard, but I live this truth now and I can't put the genie back in the bottle. And it was just a couple of hours and a whole lot of margaritas later when I was sent a... um, clip of what had happened on Triple M and I couldn't quite believe it and I thought well here it comes today I evoked all of the things that have been passed and I gave I was I wasn't hysterical I gave you know credibility to um, men who have done it before and I gently prodded these um, heroes of today and said you will be those men that step up as yet I've heard nothing from the men that were in that room none of them have stepped up to admonish Um, what happened in that Triple M commentary box. But I'm always looking for um, a teachable moment because I was, um, I have been raised on a diet of Oprah. So (laughs) when I went to work on, um, when I went to work in the commentary box on Sunday, which I do from the MCG on behalf of um, ABC Grandstand, it's a really different and unique environment because we have a female producer. The ho- the um, the show is me, and also Angela Pippos does um, her show on the Saturday, and we're in there with other men. But but we are a really female commentary team that talks about does the pregame, and the pregame was of course where this at all unfolded, and mostly when I go to work. And I feel nervous outing myself here, but I feel nervous when I go to that job. Because I feel, I look down the rows and it's just men. Sometimes I'll see Caro, sometimes she's next to me, sometimes she's not. Sometimes I might catch a glimpse of Kelly Underwood before she goes out to do um, stuff on the field. But very rarely do I see another woman. I get the women's toilets all to myself. Mm-hmm. Um, but That's sometimes I do have to stand next to the coffee machine next to Wayne Carey and I think, am I am I living my truth if I don't speak up in this moment? But I'm scared. And to to take a quote from Hannah, Um, Gatsby in Nanette she says I'm not a man hater but I'm afraid of men if I'm the only woman in a room full of men I'm afraid and if you think that that's unusual then you're not speaking to the women in your life and that is how I feel when I go to work because there's men everywhere and I haven't played 350 games I'm not a champion of the game what do I bring you know what do I seriously what can I bring and I query it and I think the people who are sitting alongside of me they don't know what I do here on the outer sanctum and if they do they probably just think we're here burning bras and speaking crap about them right (laughs) so I feel nervous but what happened this week was really interesting because I went to work and I thought I'm going to stand up tall and I'm going to live my truth and for the first time ever so many men eyeballed me They looked at me this week. They saw me. I got waved to by Brad Johnson, who I've never met before, but through the glass he waved to me. And I think these men were taking an opportunity to say, I see you. And there was lots of groups of men talking as I walked past them in the media area. And there were, you know, production staff or um, print journalists and they were all talking about it. As I walked past, they'd stop, but they would smile and they would nod at me and they looked at me and they saw me. And I believe that they saw me sometimes in some kind of, way for the first time ever they saw that I had value and after we I came off air one of the guests that we had had said to me Triple M will come for you now M because they're going to realise that they need more women and I said I'm ABC for life so <laughs> thanks for the opportunity but um, but I thought that's the feeling that's the feeling that I had that it had turned and the one thing that was really interesting in talking to my colleagues was they were saying to me, "How can you explain the situation? Can you explain why you're so offended? Because they know why it's offensive. It's offensive to them mm. because their partners have had children. Mm. Because what Barry Hall said was an immature joke that perhaps they've heard off air, but they've never heard it on air before. But I said it's because it's rape culture. And one of my colleagues said, you've got to be really careful when you make it, when you attribute it to rape. Like, because that's, it really shuts up the shop for us. Like, is it rape? Is it really mm. rape? Mm. And I said to him, well, you don't know my lived experience. So if I was to say to you, I was raped in that exact way, does that change the joke for you? And if I was to say, would you make a joke about Brock Turner, who raped a girl in that exact way, would you ever make that joke? And he was like, no, that does change that situation. It changes it for everyone in the room. And so I thought there has been, there actually has been a shift here. There has been a shift and we have seen it and people are talking about it. It may not have been as far down the track as we want it to be, but the the change is coming 
and we need to keep speaking up. And just finally, going back to what you said, Kate, I was doing some research this week and I was reading a story about Rosa Parks to my kids and I realised that Rosa Parks, when she sat on the bus that day, that was the culmination of 15, 20 years of work. Her sitting on the bus wasn't the first act. It was a woman who had had a gutful. She'd been doing. She'd been metaphorically sitting on the bus for years. And when Malala got shot in the head, that wasn't the first act. It wasn't her first day at school. She'd been. She'd been talking about the Taliban and she'd been talking about women's right to an education since she was eleven years old. That wasn't her first act. So we need to keep stepping up. And I know that it's going to sound to some people like it's hysterical women speaking, but I think we're making a difference. There's, there's one other lesson, though, that, that came home to me on the weekend and which really speaks to what you're reflecting on with your, your work. And Sarah and I, we spoke a little bit about this on the weekend, and that is, um, you know, last week we talked on our live show a lot about women's role as commentators and the fact that women are regularly kind of shut out from the commentary space or um, exposed to all kinds of arguments and, and shifting arguments, act, actually, about why it is that apparently they're not qualified to speak in the footy space. And... What occurred to what really occurred to me for the first time on the weekend is that that's actually in some parts of the um, AFL landscape the kind of nature and quality of the footy chat, that kind of pre-match chat that that took place, and actually I I think that's encouraging that that that's encouraging to me and I think should encourage you Em in the work that you do because um, that's not a conversation about footy. And if and you know and if you are told repeatedly you don't have the expertise to talk about footy, um, actually you really do because those blokes really aren't speaking a lot about footy. They're often joking or talking about you know, what happened on the weekend or filling the space with other content. And there are um, a plethora of really accomplished women. You're one of them, Shiloh Curtis, Kelly Underwood, who you mentioned. Uh, you know, Shelley Ware, Shelley Ware, Sam Lane, all of those, those women are extremely accomplished and um, and I think have rightfully earned their, their place. And I think that the nature of football commentary and football chat is evolving and will continue to evolve, and that's actually a positive can, for me. Can you imagine what that would have happened if Daisy Pierce was actually in the room as a midwife? <laughs> like she actually could have shut that down instantly. Mm. I think the other thing it raises is this idea of, you know, well, we have actually seen the line now <laughs> and not that I'm arguing that other people should be sacked. But now that we've seen Triple M actually sanction somebody for crossing that line, I wonder if we can finally have a discussion about what message is sent by having other people as part of media teams. This is just me personally, but when I see Maddie Johns and Wayne Carey as part of Triple M's teams and when I see Wayne Carey on Channel 7, I am reminded that the media organisations that employ him don't necessarily take into account what a lot of people think when they see him. So I can't see him or hear him without thinking about violence against women. That's just what it is. And I'm going to... Maybe I think it's time to talk about your brand. So for media organisations that want to, to have him as part of the, the team, I'd like to tell you that that affects your brand. And I'm one person, that's my voice. I don't think I'm by myself. And I think one of the things we've talked about today is about education. And I think that there is a real opportunity for um, a proper discussion about what happens when you do perpetrate violence and a conversation about how you perhaps um, find your way to living your life differently. And um, I would issue that as, as, as one thing that might be a way for him to continue having that role. And I think brand is important because for the AFL as well, because even though these are commercial organisations, one, there are conditions around... Um, all the broadcasts. So this is a way that the AFL could flex its muscle. But also, read Twitter, read social media. Nobody separates them. No, people link the broadcast with the AFL. So whether they like it or not, they're implicated here. So they need to be stronger and more forceful in generating change. It's certainly implicated 
Oh, well, it's suggested when you see that the head broad, like the the head of the broadcast team, is the brother of the head of the the AFL. Mm. You know, I see Wayne Carey sitting next to Gil McLaughlin's brother, and I go, okay, well, they can't avoid that. They know that that's what that represents. I just think that that's way too hard basket for them. Having said that, I'm going to remind you of you know when they were making jokes about drowning Caroline Wilson, which had that similar laughing and guffawing and gang mm. mentality. It was the rehabilitated man in the room who said, I'm not in on yep. this. It was Wayne Carey who said, I'm not in on this. And, you know, episode 20, when we, I think it was, when the, if the shoe fits, we talked about this. Mm. Um, I said, I want him to get ahead of it. I want him to tell us. I, he could lead us through this. And I think that's kind of what Michelle Laurie was saying. Like, let Barry Hall lead us through this. I don't think he necessarily has all of the um, equipment to do it. But I think, I think we've seen that Wayne Carey does have... Um, he has been through the process and he potentially could lead us through that. And my worry is with Barry Hall losing his job as instantly as he did, that Triple M thinks the job is done. Yeah. That's my concern. Quite possibly. Anything to add, ladies? Um, I would... Uh, look, I'm, I can't work out whether I'm in furious agreement or disagreement over mm. the Wayne Carey issue. Um, on the issue of whether... Look, look. certainly I, I don't deny that um, people look at that, um, look, look at the TV and they associate him with violence against women and associate the brand. I don't deny any of that. Um, I suppose my concern is if that leads to a presumption that he should be banned forever from, say, Channel 7, um, look, that just doesn't fit with my general view of punishment, that people are capable of rehabilitation. And I think it's potentially a very dangerous view if they can't be capable of rehabilitation. That can lead to more recidivism and so on. Um, now, sure, I might be being overly legalistic. You can say that applies to criminal punishment. But, you know, when it comes to general life, you just have to continue paying the price. But otherwise, you might never, ever pay the price. And I think that can be quite dangerous. Um, I did look up uh, his, his record. Um, you know, it's been 10 years I think he showed some remorse on some Andrew Denton show. As has been pointed out, he seemed to be the sort of one reasonable person in the box during the whole Caroline Wilson issue. Um, it doesn't. It certainly doesn't mean that they have to hire him. But I guess I'm talking about whether he, you know, can never be hired. But I also would agree that he has he has an opportunity to 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 be more open about this and to talk about it and to and, and to call call more things out that that might be the price he has to continue to pay it's interesting to think actually that Wayne Carey we 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 actually a few of us feel like Wayne Carey might be our savior yeah. ironically that he has a very very important and valuable role to play i just want to ask you one quick question sarah because i know we've talked a lot about this over over beers over the the years and that is um you know i know that you take the view that um that you know we need to be careful about uh, how much we police people's speech mm. um, and, and especially how much uh, we regulate in a formal sense and the government intervenes to regulate people's speech. Mm. Um, how do you think, is there is there a way that we can continue to have these kinds of conversations about the kind of society we want to be and how we can be respectful towards others, particularly minorities, but in a way that in your mind doesn't still stifle free debate, free thinking um, and the like? What I'd say is don't underestimate the power of actual condemnation. I mean, had Barry Hall not been sacked, that's probably, I mean, as I said, his, that was low-hanging fruit. He's not even really a commentator for Triple M anyway. I doubt that hurt him as much as just the wall-to-wall -wall condemnation. Um, I think his partner... His partner's reaction to say he's been crucified and so on is 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 quite naive, to be honest. I mean, of course he was crucified. He said, and I'm not actually against. You know, I'm against crucifixion generally. But, um, I'm not. Penalty, you know, that, meta that metaphorical, um, you know, crucifixion of man. You just see, you you were way out of line. That was horrible. Never ever do that again. That's actually quite powerful. I suppose I'm just. I'm just reacting against, and this is not only in the sports arena, but it is, I think, something that is more common in the social media age, that 
it's fine for people to get called out more for the terrible things that they say because now there's an avenue for us to do it rather than rely on the media to do it. But that very quickly, in many instances, morphs into, and you should lose your job. Mm. And people sort of, uh, people kind of forget how much that might actually matter to someone. Mm. And We've all agreed, I think we've agreed today, that Barry Hall losing his job was almost the least important thing that happened mm. about this. So I I would almost, I mean, pylons are not particularly pretty, but I'm not necessarily anti-pylon. I'm more, let's think about the punish the, the punishment that people should ultimately get. And that's, why I suppose, what I was getting at about forgiveness, because it does seem that there's a whole, and this is not specifically about Barry Hall, it's probably too soon, but there's a bit of a lack of forgiveness in society. That might have been there forever. That might have always been there forever. Um, but I think that's unfortunate. Mm. We did used to have public hangings, remember? <laughs> Actually, I don't remember that. No, <laughs> She's not no, that I'm old, a bit. Nicole. <laughs> Finally, to bring it back to football, Tiana, we talk so much about um, pathways for women and girls and blockages and, and hurdles for encouraging people to play the game. As a female footballer who plays AFL at the highest level, how does this impact or how do you see this impacting the way that women feel welcome into this game? I think it definitely is a bit of a setback and it's just quite confronting for that next generation. I I often try and bring it back to that next generation of 17 or 18-year-old girls that are coming through and uh, trying to you know, aspire to have this as a full-time career or be playing at the highest level. And it is confronting and it's you know, it's within the media. I'm, I'm sure it's discussed in the schoolyard as well at, um, at, at lunchtime. And I think it is a barrier that we need to really... Um, overcome, but I think you know the the our watch um, promotion and, and education are around the importance of actually just calling it out that it's not actually appropriate that this is this, these conversations are being have is probably going to be the most powerful thing moving forward and and having that changing that that conversation within the schoolyard that it's going to actually uh, be not no longer acceptable within the the landscape within footy as well as within the general community. I think that's going to be the most powerful thing, and it, it's not going to change overnight. But I think if we can try and make small steps every every year, then or every day or every year, then I think then hopefully we'll see a big difference for that next generation of girls coming through. All right, some exciting other business that happened during the week. Dr Susan Alberti AC was made Victorian of the Year and she has been, um, you know, such a champion of women, but especially in the football um, space, but also in medical research and actually, you know, walking the walk. Tiana, you must have had a fair bit to do with Sue Alberti over the journey given that you're a bulldog. How did you take the news? Oh, absolutely. She's my hero. Uh, I guess not only from, you know, the, the role that she's played within women's women's footy but also within the Medical research. I just see what she's been able to influence uh, within the community and the landscape has been absolutely incredible. She was there since day one, since we got drafted uh, to the Western Bulldogs, and uh, to have her there on the grand final day as well, celebrating with us was really, really, um, really valuable and really powerful. And I'm so glad that she was able to be part of it. So, uh, hats off to, to hats off to Sue. And I, I put a post up on Instagram, Gatorade shower for her. So. <laughs> <laughs> It's a pretty big one to put it in the trophy cabinet next to the Premiership Cup. I think that's pretty amazing. Um, some other news this week. Um, Lucy, who works on this show, not Lucy Race, Lucy, who sits behind the panel at the moment for us, is going to be calling her first game of footy. And we just wanted mm-hmm. to wish you all the best, Lucy, because more female callers is another part of um, this whole um, illustration of female footy and we know that you play as well you're a very passionate footy fan and we can't wait to hear you call it's a really big deal so good luck to you Yay. Um, and finally we just want to say thank you to everybody who got in touch with us after our live event my voice still hasn't returned <laughs> it's, the, it's been some pretty amazing feedback guys how have you taken it yeah, it's been amazing. It was an overwhelming experience. It was heaps of fun. It's a bit like when you have a birthday party and you're not sure if anyone's going to turn up. And uh, and the thing that will stick in my mind is when we were sitting in the green room and um, one of our producers came came in and said, you know, the foyer is full of people and they're all really excited and enthusiastic <laughs> and they're here to see you. And it was just kind of amazing. So, um, yeah, it was really ama- amazing experience and huge thanks to Will Anderson, who was tremendous and um, very generous to be involved. Peggy was also a big ticket item. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Peggy only will bring the Premiership Cup and Beck Goddard making her first um, AFL 
kind of related um, event um, since she was um, left Adelaide. Yeah, since she left Adelaide is the word I was looking for. <laughs> um, well, that was not lost on us as well. We're so grateful for the support of um, so many amazing <coughs> women in the industry and so many super fans who were really emotional and mm. we just loved their feedback. No, it was it was just awesome, and I think you know a really good thing for. Um, just as a little individual to think, you know, this is something I've never done before, and and look what you did. So, mm-hmm. I, I would ex- I would um, say that to everyone: try something new, try something that scares you, get out there, <laughs> way out of our comfort yeah. zone. That's for sure for a lot of us. And the the response has been really humbling. And meeting our some of our fans, can we even say fans? I feel ridiculous, <laughs> but so friends, friends. Sanctumers. sanctumers, yeah, other yeah. sanctumers was mm. actually extraordinary. Can I make a public service announcement that there will be Thursday Night Football again this week? Mm. So, Stop that. I know. I think we need it. <sighs> the public service announcement or the Thursday Night Football? We don't football. need Thursday Night Football. No, we need no, a reminder it. that it's coming yeah. up. The other thing that we announced at the live show that I don't know if everyone's caught up on the news, but um, we are partnering with the North Melbourne um, Football Club to be able to take Kick and Coffee further afield, which we're so excited about. And I know Sarah Joseph is just punching the air because <laughs> she's a proud North Melbourne supporter. Um, and so we're so grateful to everyone at North um, for all the support they've given us. And stay tuned. We will have more information on that. Yeah, and can I just say something? I wasn't able, able to be there in the in the room and I would have loved to, but I was working a long shift at work. But I just laughed so much at your podcast last <laughs> week. It seemed like you guys had an amazing time and hats off to you and I hope you can do it again. Thank you for those lovely comments, Tiana. I, I just on behalf of everyone here at the podcast, all four of us, it seems, <laughs> it seems so little, doesn't yeah. it, when it's not a six, when it's a quorum. Um, to Sarah and Tiana, thank you so much for coming in um, to fill out the melee with us um, and actually bring your expertise and your wise heads and your smart voices to the pod today. Really appreciate you making the effort. Yay. Thanks for having us. Yeah, thank you. You'll be able to follow both of these girls on all the socials and Twitters and whatever. We'll be tweeting and Instagramming, I'm sure. Sarah Joseph does a fantastic photo. (laughs) What's what's the photo that we'll be taking? Uh, We're going to be taking a U2 shot. (laughs) Tell us about it, Sarah. Come on. This is a, uh, well, it's a shot that is a little bit like a U2 album cover. So basically everyone looks uh, very serious and in different directions. And black and white? <laughs> I, can uh, I can change it to black it's and white. but black and white. No, no, no. It no. can be all sorts of colours. Can oh. I put in a plug that you have started an Instagram account too, with, which has a collection of these photos that you take when we're at work, <laughs> at, when we're at conferences, everywhere you go, and they're really, really funny. Yeah, I've got some from actually 11 years ago. And, and it's, um, it's Instagram at U2Shots. Brilliant. <laughs> Love it. All right. Well, I wish us luck as we channel The Edge and Bono and those other There's ones. There's other people there too, <laughs> whatever their names are. There's only thing, one Spandau thing Spandau Ballet does a good cover too. Do they? <laughs> that could be our next promo shot for the next um, live gig. Thank Why would we do that? Um, there's only one thing left to do. It's to say... Go, go footy! footy! Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.